going to share an experience, not to be critical, but because I think it highlights, it highlights how we often think about the Bible. Uh, I was at a funeral here recently of a relative, a loved one, wonderful Christian woman, wonderful, godly woman. But something was said during the service that bothered me. Someone said that, use the words, she earned her way to heaven. And that really bothered me. And I'm sure that this person, if he had a chance, I mean, he'd rephrase that. And I'm sure that, you know, he misspoke. But as the service went on, more sentiments were offered to reassure us of her final destiny because of her goodness. And things were said like, if she didn't make it, then none of us will. And I understand the sentiment. And she was a wonderful, godly woman. And I have no doubt that she's with the Lord. But the idea... The idea that we somehow are good enough or that we earn our way to heaven is not the gospel, church. That's not the gospel. And it made me think about and it made me realize, I think even more so, how we tend to think about Christianity, how we tend to think about what the Bible is. What is the Bible? How do we read it? If if we were to tell somebody, this is what the Bible is, and you know that's kind of one of my hobby horses, I guess, if I have one, is to say, what is the Bible? And do we think rightly about what the Bible is and how we study the Bible. You probably even heard the little acronym Bible, B-I-B-L-E, basic instructions before leaving earth. That's what a lot of people think, that the Bible is uh, an instruction book of how to go to heaven. If you were to just hand somebody the Bible and say, hey, you want to know how to go to heaven? Here's a Bible. Read it. Then you'll know how to go to heaven. You'll know what things you need to do to be good enough to go to heaven. That seems to be the way we approach the Bible. But, but I mean, if you were to read it that way, a lot of it just wouldn't make any sense, would it? I mean, all this talk about talking donkeys and arcs and floods and kings and giant killing. I mean, what's all that about? What's all this about priests and sacrifices and tabernacles and temples? What's all this about Jesus? And what's all this about his death on the cross? What does all of this mean if this is just an instruction book of do this, do this, do this, do this, do this, and you'll go to heaven when you die? Maybe. I think it's the wrong way to think about the Bible. And this morning, I not only want to think about that, how do we read the Bible, but I also want us to think about baptism, because that's what our series this month is about, is about baptism. And how does being a baptized person change the way you read the Bible? Because it should. It should. Being a baptized person should change the way you read the Bible, not just the New Testament. Being a baptized person should change the way you read the Old Testament. It should change the way you read about Abraham. It should change the way you read about Moses. It should change the way you read about David. And that's what I want us to think about is how does my baptism, if indeed you are a baptized person, how does your baptism change the way that you read and study and understand the Bible. Okay, so let's, with that in mind, look at Galatians chapter 3 that Michael just read for us. And in the context, we've talked about Galatians a little bit last few weeks, but in the context, Paul is correcting some people that Galatia was a region and Paul had spent his first missionary journey in that region and had planted several congregations and made lots of Christians, especially a lot of Gentiles, 
non-Jewish people who had become Christians, who had started to follow Jesus and been baptized into Christ, and, and they've begun their journey of faith. And then these Jewish people and people that were influenced by some of these Judaizers, as we call them, they came along and they were telling these Gentile Christians that in order to be really part of God's people. In order to really be saved, you need to be circumcised and keep the law of Moses. You need to do things like not eat these kinds of foods and eat these kind of foods and celebrate these days and not work on these days. You need to keep the law of Moses in order to be God's people. And Paul wrote to them and he did not mince words. He said, that's ridiculous. In fact, he said that if anybody tries to preach to you this kind of a gospel, This is inspired writing. He said, let them be accursed. He said, if I preach to you this other gospel or someone else preaches to you this other gospel, he says, even if an angel from heaven preaches to you another gospel, let them be accursed. We cannot accept what these people are trying to push on you. And so let's look at what he says. Galatians chapter 3. Now, he's he's kind of talking about the law here, the law of Moses, and he's explaining to them that well, what the law is. He says, now, now that faith has come, we're no longer under a guardian. And he just got through saying that, that the law, the law of Moses was kind of like a guardian. And the Greek word that he uses there is the idea of this slave that some Roman families would have. They would have this slave that worked for the family, and his job was to take the children to and from school, protect them, watch over them, make sure they stayed out of trouble, you know, and set the rules for them and and just basically keep them safe until they reached adulthood. And Paul says that's that's the way the law was for the children of Israel. That's the way the law was for God's people. The, The law was there as a guardian, as a tutor, a schoolmaster, yours might say. I like the idea of a nanny, because that's kind of our idea of somebody that works for the family and watches over a child until they reach a certain age. But then he says, but now that faith has come, that was the whole purpose of the law, was to bring God's people to the point of faith in Jesus, the Messiah. And now that faith in Jesus has come, we're no longer under a guardian. He says, basically, the the law wasn't bad. The law was good. It was from God. The, The old law of Moses, he's not saying you're not under it because it was bad. He's saying you're not under it. You shouldn't be bound to it because it served its purpose. Because it did what it was designed to do. You're no longer under the guardian because the guardian did its job. It helped God's people to get to a certain point. And what's that point? Faith in the Messiah. And all in this context, Paul is saying, listen, everybody who puts their faith in Jesus, the Messiah, is part of God's people. That justification is by faith. He says things like Galatians 3 and verse 7. Those of faith are the sons of Abraham. He says in verse 14 of the same chapter, in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. So we're no longer under the guardian of the law because it served its purpose and brought us to the point of faith in Christ. And he says, verse 26, for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God. I think that's better translation than children of God because here he's not saying sons just masculine, but, but sons because sons are heirs. And he's saying, you all 
all of you who've put your faith in Jesus, and he'll go on in a minute to say male and female and Jew and Gentile and slave and free, all of you are sons of God. In other words, you are full-fledged members of the covenant people of God. It's good news, isn't it? Not based on circumcision, not based on food you eat or don't eat, not based on this, that, or anything else other than you have put your faith in Jesus. And because you've put your faith in Jesus, you are all full-fledged members of the covenant community of God. It's good news. He says, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Now, several different things there that we need to touch on. You see how the context is all about faith. You can't separate faith and baptism. That's what baptism is. Baptism is an act of personal faith. Personally putting your faith in Jesus, the Messiah, saying, I'm with Jesus. He is my Savior King. I'm His disciple. I'm His follower. I'm with Him. In fact, the way Paul puts it, he says it's like putting Him on. It's like going into Christ. It's saying, this is where I take my stand. He says, put on. Like like you put on clothes. Now listen, I, I understand that there's all kinds of different teachings out there about baptism, and, and, and I understand why. I mean, if you look at it historically and you see how this teaching popped up here and this teaching popped up there, and, and I understand that many of you probably grew up with different teachings about baptism, but I'm just saying let's deal with what God's Word says about it. Amen? We just look at what God's Word says about it. Because there may be somebody here that maybe when you were an infant... Maybe your parents had you sprinkled. And, and, and I, I'm not, I told the first service, I, I don't want to criticize, I, I don't want to criticize your mama, that's for sure. I know better than mess with somebody's mama. But, you know, I, I appreciate, I appreciate what, what you've experienced and what you've been through. And so it's not about being critical, but it, it is about dealing honestly with what Scripture says. And Scripture says, this is what baptism is. Baptism is you in faith, Choosing Jesus. You, in faith, putting Jesus on. Clothing yourself with Him. Baptism is not a choice that someone else can make for you. Baptism is not a choice that somebody else can make for you. And do you see how these elements go hand in hand? Baptism and faith and covenant membership. Paul is saying... All of you who were baptized into Christ Jesus, you're all in Him, you're clothed in Him, you've put Him on, and this was an act of faith. And by faith, now, you are all sons of God. You are all full-fledged members of the covenant people of God. Look at verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there's no male and female, for you are all one, In Christ Jesus. Now, we kind of take that verse out of context and use it in lots of different ways. And sometimes we use it to talk about racism. And racism is a horrible, wicked, evil, absolutely. That's not exactly what he's talking about here. Sometimes people take it out of context to use it about women's roles in the church. That's not what he's talking about here. 
What he's saying is that if you were, if you were a non-circumcised person, or you were a slave person, or you were a female person, then you weren't considered an heir, right? If you were a daughter that had brothers, your brothers were the heirs of your father and not you. If you were a slave of a master and the master had sons, then the sons were the heirs and not you. In Judaism, if you were circumcised, you were Jewish, then you were the heir and the uncircumcised was not. And Paul says, in Christ Jesus, when you make the decision to put Christ on in faith and you say, I'm with Jesus, then you become through faith, through baptism, at the point of baptism, you become a full-fledged member of the covenant people of God. You become an heir of God. You become an heir of all of these promises. And now there is no Jew or Greek. There is no slave or free. There is no male and female. We are all one in Christ Jesus. Verse 29, and if you are Christ's, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offsprings, offspring, heirs according to promise. Now, now again, what I want us to think about is how does baptism change the way that we read the whole Bible? Do you see? You see that he says you're not under the law, right? But it, then why should Christians read the Old Testament? Well, why should we? I, I hear that all the time. I hear people, one time I, I preached at a congregation, and if if they knew, like you know, that tonight I'm going to have an Old Testament text, I had a guy one time, and he said, well, if you're going to preach from the Old Testament, I'm not coming back tonight, because Christians don't need to read the Old Testament. And, and, and if you think that the Bible is simply instructions of what you need to do to go to heaven, then you might look and say, well, I don't know why we ought to read the Old Testament, because I don't need to do those things. That's true. You're not under the Old Testament. But the Bible is a story. It's a story of how God redeemed a people. It's how God gathered a people to himself to be his covenant people through Jesus. It was all leading up to Jesus and you becoming a part of that family. And so, yes, we're not under the old law, but if you don't know the Old Testament, you don't know what story you're a part of. And that's what happens at baptism. You become a part of the story. Isn't that what he's saying? He's saying that when you put Jesus on in baptism, when you in faith clothed yourself with Jesus, when you were buried, Romans 6, buried with Jesus in baptism, then you become an heir of all of these promises. Back when God promised Abraham, I'm going to bless all nations of mankind through your seed, through Jesus you're part of those nations, right? You are an heir of all of those promises. You become a part, a full-fledged member of God's covenant people. And if you don't know the Old Testament, and I'm not criticizing you for not knowing, I'm just saying when you read it, when you read Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy and Joshua and Judges and Ruth and all of these wonderful parts of the story, all of these beautiful chapters in the story that were leading up to Jesus, understand that when you put Jesus on in baptism, you stepped into that story. Or better yet, God made you a part of that story. By His grace, He made you a part of that family. He made you a part of that story. And so, yes, we, we read through the law of Moses not to know what we need to do to go to heaven, 
But we read through the Law of Moses because it helps us to understand the story that we're a part of by faith in Jesus, our Savior King, because that's what it's all about. Look at chapter 4 and verse 1. I mean that the heir, as long as he's a child, he's no different from a slave, though he's the owner of everything. He said even, even the Jews, when they were under the law, it, it, it's like being under a babysitter. It's like being under a, a nanny. It's like being under a schoolmaster. It, it's kind of like you're a slave. And in our culture, I, I, I like to think about it kind of like a trust, right? If, if you were a wealthy per, I can't use myself as an example, but if, if you were a wealthy person and you had a bunch of money and, and you left that to your children and you died and, and your children were still minors, then they're under the rules of the trust until they come of age, right? They can't really inherit all that they have coming to them. Even though they're technically an heir, they're still under the rules and the regulations of the trust. But after they reach a certain age, well, then those rules are lifted and they come into their full inheritance, right? And Paul says that as long as he's a child, that is, Israel before Jesus came, he's no different from a slave. Though he's the owner of everything, but he's under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. And then verse 3, in the same way, we also, when we were children, we were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the, I love this phrase, when the fullness of time had come, Everything was building to this one moment. The reason all of the promises were given, the reason for the prophets, the reason for the law, the reason for circumcision, the reason for the sacrifices, everything was building to this moment in time when the fullness of time had come. Isn't it amazing? I mean, I don't know that there could be anything more appropriate than that we've restructured our dating system to say this is A.D. 2017. What does A.D. mean? Anno Domini, in the year of our Lord. That we've restructured our dating system to say that when Jesus showed up on this planet, it changed everything. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His son, born of woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. He says both Jew and Gentile, both slave and free, both male and female, everybody needed to be adopted. Everybody needed to become children. Even the Jew hadn't even come into the fullness of his inheritance. But when Jesus came, when faith came, came, you and I and the nations, everyone was able to say, I'm with him. I want to be clothed in him. I'm going to take my stand in him. He's going to be my king. He's going to be my savior. I'm going to come out from the country of sin and death and into the reign of heaven's reign of peace and life and grace and righteousness. I take my stand with Jesus. When he came, when the full, when the fullness of time had come and Jesus came, we could all be adopted as sons, as full-fledged members of the covenant people of God. That's what it was all building up to. Verse six. And because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. 
Isn't that wonderful news? That not because of where you've been, not because of who you are, not because of who your parents were, not because of decisions made before you were born or old enough to think about things, because of your faith in Jesus, because you've been clothed with Jesus, you can have confidence that the Spirit of Jesus Christ lives in you and cries out, Abba, Father, God, you are my Dad, you are my father. And I, because of Jesus, because of what Jesus has done for us, because of your plan, because of your righteousness, because you didn't give up on people, because you were steadfast, now I am a full-fledged member of your covenant people. That's good news, isn't it? It's good to know that the Spirit of Christ is in us crying out, Abba, Father. He says, verse 7, So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. You see, being a baptized person changes the way you read the Bible. It changes the way you think about yourself. It changes the way you think about life. It changes the way you think about death. It changes the way you think about life after death because being a baptized person means that I have become part of the story. I've become part of the story. Think about what we've said the last few weeks, that when you are a baptized person, Romans chapter 6, you can say, I am no longer a slave to sin. You could say, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I am part of the spirit-empowered body of Christ. You can say, when you read the Bible, I'm part of that story. I'm part of that story. So when you look back at the weird things that happened in the book of Judges, and you try to figure out what was going on, why were they living like that? You could take the good, and you could throw away the bad. You could say, some of those people, I mean, they were just messed up. They weren't listening to God. They weren't living like God's covenant people. But you could say, this is my family story. This is my family story. And it was all leading up to Jesus so that God, in his infinite love, could make you and me a part of the story, could make you and me a part of his family, could make us a part of his covenant community, that he has a covenant with us and we a covenant with him. Paul ends the the book of Galatians, by calling us the Israel of God. Do you know who the Israel of God is? You. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ and you've been clothed in the Messiah, then you are the Israel of God. I am the Israel of God. I stand right before God in a right relationship with Him. Not because I hope I've been good enough, but because I'm with Jesus. Because I've been clothed in Jesus. And if you're a baptized person who's walking with Jesus, who's taking their stand with Jesus, you're not perfect, you still mess up, you can say, I am part of the story. You can read the Bible and know that you're part of that story. You're part of the people that God loves, that God is saving and redeeming, that God has a home for forever. It does change the way you think about life after death, but it should change the way you think about life before death and the way you live life before death. Maybe there's somebody here this morning 
that hasn't yet been clothed with Jesus. You don't have to have it all figured out. You don't have to know everything. You don't have to straighten your life all out. That's why we need Jesus, because he straightens us out, right? You just have to say, I know that he's the son of God, and I'm tired of living in the kingdom I'm living in, and I want deliverance into his kingdom, where there is grace, where there is life, where there is forgiveness, and I want to be a part of the story of the Bible. Because as great as the story has been so far, it just gets better from here, doesn't it? The best is yet to come, and you and I are part of that story by faith in Jesus Christ. Maybe you are a part of that story. Maybe you have put Jesus on, and you've, you just need some prayers or encouragement. There's a room in the back, my office. The elders will meet you back there. The shepherds would love to pray with you or encourage you. Visit with them or come forward as together we stand and sing.